And the reality is if you haven't dialed in some of these other lifestyle elements, welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Sleep being a very, very crucial one. From our studios in Malibu, California. You may not be getting the health benefits that you are seeking. So hello, it's host Brad Kearns here in the Malibu studios with Mark Sisson back in action. How you doing, Mark? Doing great. Ready to answer some questions today. We received a ton of questions on SpeakPipe as well as in writing, but I also want to get into something that you mentioned in Tulum during your talk, and you made a lot of eyes pop out when you said, and it just was a random question or something during your Q&A session, that uh, sleep is possibly number one, at least number two, in the big picture, of course, diet being the other one, of pursuing health and the next frontier of you know primal optimized living. Yeah, it was pretty interesting because I've... I've been um, uh, working on this for myself for the last several years, knowing intuitively and also through the research that sleep was really important to maintaining good health. And so I've been working on my own internal sleep mechanisms and, and dialing down my sleep. And when I asked in Tulum, I just sort of matter-of-factly said, oh, show of hands, uh, how many people here uh, would consider themselves not to, to be getting enough sleep? And like 90% of the people in the room raised their hands. And it was a real kind of a, again, a revelation to me that, wow, people assume that once you get your diet dialed in and once you get your exercise strategy, you know, you're home, you're home free. And the reality is if you haven't dialed in some of these other lifestyle elements and sleep being a very, very crucial one, uh, you may not be getting the health benefits that you are seeking. Well, in the Primal Connection, you covered quite a bit of sleep material in there. And there were some really good tips. So I thought maybe we could talk through some of the most important ones and give some uh, bullet points or some things for people to really focus on instead of just the, the lip service that we hear. Oh, you need to get eight hours of sleep every night. And it's not that simple, actually. Um, so number one, I think, is pretty obvious. Yeah, the, the, the first thing I would do is just make sure that your sleep environment is set up appropriately. And that means uh, that you've uh, eliminated the noise distractions that you have created an environment where it's as dark as possible. I mean, 100% dark is ideal. Uh, I know that sometimes if I am on the road and I sleep in a hotel and maybe the little green dot on the thermostat is, is shining through the night or there's some little light sensor or something that's overhead, I sometimes have to, I feel like I have to cover those up to get that full 100% darkness effect. In my uh, home here in Malibu, uh, we were lucky when we moved in that the prior owners installed storm shutters in all of the rooms upstairs. So all the bedrooms is effectively have blackout curtains. So we put these shutters down every night. And it's amazing how uh, how dark the room can get. And then we have a little anteroom, a little antechamber off the bedroom where I do leave uh, the curtains open a little bit. And as it gets light in the morning, enough light creeps in sort of around the corner that I'm able to wake up naturally uh, when, you know, with the sunrise. But getting that first, that first element of, of uh, complete darkness is so critical to the, the release of melatonin, the fact that, you're, you know, you need this melatonin for your body to put you into that sleep mode. There have been studies that have, that have shown that even shining lights on different parts of the body, uh, having covered the eyes up, for instance, with a, with, a, with a mask, if you shine lights on different parts of the body, that's, that's enough to, to prevent this full uh, release of melatonin. So this starts with sort of a primal theme because we're tuned in to the rising and setting of the sun. And we have been for millions of years. And that's why you were mentioning 
making it so dark. It's because we have all kinds of artificial light now. Exactly. And, you know, um, Formby and Wiley in their book, uh, Lights Out, uh, Sleep, Sugar, and Survival, make note of the fact that uh, there's this seasonal requirement that we have for sleep that becomes greater in the winter as the sun goes down earlier and, and comes up later. To the, to the effect that, that it's probably more like nine and a half hours in the wintertime uh, down to as little as eight hours in the summer based on this concept that you would ideally go to sleep when the sun sets and, and get up when the sun rises. Now, obviously, if you live in different latitudes, uh, you're going to be exposed to a whole range of amounts of sun that, 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 that there you have during the daytime. But the, the idea being that if you can somehow replicate this this normal rhythm whether it's again uh, you know uh, unwinding earlier in the day and at, even though the sun has already gone down not exposing yourself to the sorts of blue lights that would replicate daylight but in fact expose yourself more to the yellow and, and orange uh, uh, spectrum that would be a fireplace or candles or even uh, changing light bulbs in some of your uh, lamps in the house so that you are able to uh, continue into this sleep phase gradually and slowly where you have this release of melatonin. So when you say blue light, you're talking about the visible part of the ultraviolet spectrum, just to be clear. And so what blue light really really is, practically speaking, is pretty much all forms of artificial light, like light bulbs, indoor lighting, as well as the sunlight, as well as the light emitted from digital screens. So that's where the, the big problem occurs, the big mismatch occurs with genetics and evolutionary history. Well, we've created this uh, wonderful hedonistic environment where we have, uh, with the flip of a switch, we can stay up all night and be entertained and, and not miss out on any of the fun. And that, that challenge for a lot of people is very real because there's so much going on. There's good TV, there's parties, there are places to go and people to see and things to do well into the evening simply because of this artificial light that we've created for ourselves. So the, the, the challenge is, at what point do I sort of back away from that, unwind, recognize that I need to sleep, and uh, create a strategy that allows me to, to get into that sleep state by 10.30 or 11 or maybe 11.30 at the latest. And, you know, in many cases, for some people, it's going to be 9 or 9.30 p.m., uh, where you can get a full night's sleep. Now, full night's sleep, that's another topic of discussion in and of itself, this notion that we have to have eight or nine or ten uninterrupted hours is sort of a misnomer and we can we can touch on that a little bit later but but back to the the challenge that we face as modern humans living with 10,000 year old gene sets that expect us to go to sleep when the sun goes down and here we are staying up uh, all hours playing and having fun thinking that somehow we can make it up later and obviously that 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 weird stupid mantra you know you can sleep when you're dead has a ring of truth to it because you may be dead sooner if you don't get enough sleep. So what is happening hormonally when you're watching that great movie or at the party? You're not even tired, literally. You feel fine. What's going on inside that's causing potential trouble? Well, a lot of times uh, we can be emotionally involved in what we're watching, and whether that's a movie, whether that's listening to a very visceral, deep uh, thumping of music, uh, at a party or at a, at a you know at a rave or whatever you know whatever it is you're you're choosing to stay up late to, uh, so there's there's the emotional involvement and if it could even be the evening news with its 
you know, death and destruction and all of the salacious stuff that's going on. So there's this empathetic involvement, which involves cortisol release, adrenaline and cortisol. There's a prevention of, of course, of the release of uh, melatonin. There's, in many cases, because you're eating late, the, the serotonin that you create through, say, carbohydrate intake um, increases, and that's not necessarily a good thing because the serotonin to melatonin shift is part of what we need in order to enter that uh, sleep state. So we, we do get caught up, a lot of us, in watching television late and thinking that we're unwinding from the day and thinking that this is a, a good thing to do before we, um, we go off to bed and, and try to sleep, when in fact... It's, it's probably not good at all. It's probably counterproductive to our intending to get a good, deep night's sleep. So the melatonin is the key that's making us feel sleepy and preparing our body to actually fall asleep and get rest and cycle through the various REM phases and, and deep sleep phases. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happens when we travel, for instance, is that we, sh- we, we shift away from uh, a normal 24-hour cycle. Well, we don't shift away from it. In fact, we travel away from it. Our body still wants to be on the uh, home-based 24-hour cycle. So we get to a, a location that's eight or nine or ten time zones away from where we normally are, and the, the body is thrown off trying to produce melatonin because it wants us to sleep and recover and to repair and to um, rewire all of those, those neural networks. One of the tricks that I use when I travel is I use melatonin. I use a, a melatonin supplement to kind of reset that clock when I've traveled across many time zones. But it does sort of come back to that, that idea that, that melatonin is kind of that key sleep hormone. We want to we do whatever we can to promote the timely release of it. And then also on the, on the, on the back end to wake up in the morning uh, in a manner that, uh, that, again, shifts away from that and into the production of uh, serotonin and, and, and on with our normal day. So if you're wondering, you listeners wondering back at home, if you're getting enough sleep, you have a little benchmark in the morning, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you wake up refreshed and you feel like you got a, a great night's sleep, that's probably an indication that you got a great night's sleep. If you're one of those people who drags their ass out of bed every morning because the alarm went off and you wished you just had another hour. Again, there, there's when I talk about the, living the primal blueprint lifestyle, much of it is about intuitive. It's about how can I intuitively know that I'm eating the right things and I'm exercising appropriately and then I'm getting the right amount of sleep. And waking up refreshed on a daily basis is a good indicator that you're getting enough sleep. And conversely, you know, waking up feeling uh, or you know, waking up kicking and screaming because the alarm went off or because someone had to rouse you from your sleep is an indication that you're not uh, sleeping appropriately. So uh, you wrote about this in detail in The Primal Connection, but briefly, when you wake up and you feel dragon, hormonally speaking or, or, or sleep science speaking, what's happened is you haven't cycled optimally through the various phases of sleep. Well, yeah. I mean, we, th- there are phases of sleep throughout the, throughout the night. The, the REM sleep is probably the, me- the main focus of a lot of people who are interested in looking at the success or failure of sleeping, and that's, the, that's the, the, the time during which your brain literally reorganizes or organizes the information that it's been exposed to. Um, there's a slow wave physical recovery. Uh, that's the point at which there's um, some cell repair going on and some hormonal rebalancing taking place. To the extent that... Um, you know, it's interesting when you look at what it takes 
to live and in, and in you know, all of the hierarchies of needs, uh, we, can go, uh, we can go a few days without water. We can go and, and, you know, maybe a week without water. We can go months without food. In, in fact, there's a story of a guy who went a year without food. But we can go a long time without food. But you, it's, it's really if you go just a few days without sleep, you will die. And that's how important sleep is to this repair and restoration and regeneration and renewal of not just our bodies, but of our psyches and of our neural networking and the restoring of the balance of the hormones. So, you know, it's it's one of those crazy things that we sort of take for granted. Like, you know, I I'm, I feel like since I do fall asleep every night, I must be getting enough sleep and or I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a person, this is a great one, I'm a person who only needs four or five hours of sleep a night. I hear that a lot. And in fact, I don't think there's anybody who can survive for a long period of time on four or five hours of sleep a night. I think you're fooling yourself if, if you are convincing yourself of that, that you, and, and at some point you do have to make it up on the back end. Now, how you can make it up is through naps. Naps are quite important to a lot of people to, to make up that difference, whether you have a, um, a, a shift schedule that takes you into the, well into the nights or whether you're just because you're raising kids, you don't have enough time to get quality sleep or you're up in the middle of the night, you know, caring to their needs. The idea that you can, um, that you can make up some of that difference with a nap uh, is a very useful tool. And, and there are ways to, there are napping strategies that we talk about in the Primal Connection that, um, you know, I think would help a lot of people make up that difference. Yeah, you said napping as needed was kind of your your tagline there. What do you mean by that? Well, if you don't need to nap, then don't nap. I mean, I it's so funny as needed. Back in my days of high carb, uh, sugar based diet, when I was an athlete, um, I would need to take a nap just about every day around two, two to three. Uh, and if I didn't take a nap, I, I couldn't function. I couldn't work at whatever job I was doing. Uh, it was, you know, it was just sort of part of my routine. That was because I needed it, partly because of the, of the diet and and the and the fact that my sleep wasn't at my my nighttime sleep wasn't as efficient and effective as it could be. Again, partly because of the diet, so I needed it then. Uh, recently, the only time I really ever nap is on Sunday afternoons around three o'clock because I finish my the ultimate games that we have uh, usually around one, and we play two hours of hard, hard ultimate. In fact, yesterday, I probably had the best ultimate game I've had in six or seven years. So like seven Superman heroic catches. It was phenomenal. But you know, the harder I put out, the more I realize that I need to maybe take care of myself when I get home. So you know, I get home, put on the put on the, put on a game or something. Uh, and then I, I took a 45 minute nap. And it was the most refreshing, you know, pure kind of catch up sleep that I've had in a long time. And did it affect my evening last night? No, last night I went to bed at 10 o'clock and woke up this morning about quarter seven feeling 100% refreshed. Right, there's a misnomer it seems like and the sleep scientists have countered this where the, the common conventional wisdom is that if you take a nap, you're gonna mess up your evening sleep and it's just not so and it's been proven by science. Right, exactly. Um, again, we say as needed. That um, doesn't mean if you wanna take a nap, you don't. You, you, you can't if you unless you need it. But I typically recommend that people take naps if they're not getting enough evening sleep. And if they do take naps, you're literally rebalancing the sodium-potassium ratio. You're refreshing brain synapses. I mean, you, you literally do wake up refreshed. That's what's going on. 
Um, and that's why it doesn't interfere with nighttime sleep. Is if you're running around in a fog for the last six hours of the day and then kicking up your cortisol by you know relaxing with a movie or doing emails late into the night, you're you're not even in a position to again gracefully cycle optimally through all the phases of sleep at nighttime because you're too fried. Exactly. Now, one of the things people um, ask me about a lot is, well, you know, like typical comment is, oh, I wake up at two thirty or three o'clock. And for some reason, I can't get back to sleep. And what's wrong with me? And the answer is, there's nothing wrong with you. That's that's actually a normal uh, cycling of of sleep. In Are you fact, talking about the morning or the afternoon? Oh, I'm I'm talking about because um, my kids wake up at like <laughs> two or right. three o'clock. I'm yeah, like, yeah, what's yeah. wrong with you guys? Oh, good point. Good point. Uh, no, uh, two or three o'clock a.m. Uh, having gone to bed at ten thirty or eleven, thinking that something's wrong because they only got four hours of sleep, and now they're up and they can't go back to sleep immediately. Uh, and they start to, and this is classic, they start to worry about the fact that they're not getting any sleep. So the worry itself keeps them up, keeps them from getting back to sleep. Well, the reality is most of the world uh, has, has exhibited uh, a polyphasic or biphasic sleeping style for most of history. So uh, particularly a lot of the cultures uh, in, um, say, Asia, Africa, they're, typical is to wake up and make make some tea, uh, to read a little bit, to have a conversation, to have sex, to look after the kids, to maybe even go for a walk, and then go back to sleep uh, and pick up where you left off without worrying at all about having missed that 20 minutes or that half hour in between. Uh, and that's what I recommend. So a lot of people will say, well, what do I do about this? And I say, well, what, maybe what you do, if you like to read, maybe you put on one of those minor headlamps uh, or change the bulbs in your um, bedroom uh, lamps or lighting uh, systems to a orange or a yellow light and read for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes and not something that's going to put you on edge but something that's going to kind of just um, engage you enough that you'll start to fall off after 15 or 20 minutes and be ready to sleep again. So the caveat though is that when it gets dark you have to wind things down. So if you're burning the candle at both ends and you're waking up in the middle of the night you got bigger issues than a random awakening that you should be comfortable and peaceful with. You have to get things mellowing as soon as it gets dark. Absolutely. And I love the, the term burning the candle at both ends because if you're actually burning a candle, you'll probably sleep a, a little bit better. Uh, yeah, and the other thing that I notice uh, people talk to me about is waking up, that, like if they have a couple of glasses of wine in the evening to, to wind down. And then they'll fall asleep easily, but then they'll wake up at 2 or 3 and then they can't get back to sleep again. It's, it's interesting to me that I think the Chinese in their energy systems, in their, in their qi um, diagrams, say that that's the time of night when the liver is cleansing itself, is, is 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. So just an interesting kind of observation, pulling in some of this, uh, these alternative uh, uh, medical concepts. But yeah, uh, back to what it takes to, to, um, to get a, uh, a good night's sleep, it doesn't necessarily require a full, uninterrupted eight or nine hours. It can be interrupted, provided you do it uh, in a way that doesn't disrupt the second or third phase. And back to that most popular question, how many hours do I need? And you kind of answered it by saying, when you wake up feeling refreshed and energized without an alarm. Now, you mentioned that book, Lights Out, Sleep, Sugar, and Survival, and they were saying how you have to possibly vary the number of hours by the season, which makes so much sense. Absolutely. I, you know, again, if we're looking at how humans um, have evolved, uh, 
using the the diurnal and circadian rhythms, uh, which change with the season, then it makes sense that we would uh, need uh, different amounts of sleep at different periods of time and different uh, times of the year. It's not unlike the fact that uh, a lot of humans lived in a uh, environment where at the end of fall, there was a lot of fruit available. And that's the reason, one of the reasons that we are so good at converting fruit into fat is because it was timely, it was cyclical, it was seasonal, uh, enabling us to put on a layer of fat to survive the winter coming up. So all of these things make sense in the context of evolution. I have realized over the years, I used to sort of think that if I got 10 hours of sleep that 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 was too much and that was decadent and I didn't need it and what am I thinking because I could be doing something more productive or I could be up enjoying life and now as I've gotten older I go wow that every once in a while that 10 hours I look forward to it uh, it's important to me I, I get a sense that I'm doing myself a solid favor by doing that and um, I have no I make no excuses about about doing that I, I think it's really really important to get enough sleep so speaking of the fruit uh, ripening in the long days of summer and sleep, sugar, and survival went into this in detail, if you happen to be interested in reducing excess body fat, the sleep becomes a huge issue because evolutionary speaking, when it's summer and the days are long, we're programmed to consume sugar and store it as fat to get ready for the winter months. So when we have the lights on throughout the just 365 days a year we turn on the lights on after dark and go 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 our body thinks it's summer all the time i, I couldn't i couldn't say it better than that it's uh you know this is there's a lot more to burning fat than than just decreasing the amount of carbs or sugar in your diet and becoming a fat burning beast a lot of this has to do with with the amount of sleep you get the amount of cortisol you release uh and a lot of other factors that uh that most people are unaware of, and particularly those people who have maybe hit a plateau in their weight loss strategy and are wondering what to do next. Sleep may be the next level of of um, involvement for them. So when you're up doing your emails at night and staring at that screen and triggering the cortisol release rather than the melatonin, what's happening in terms of your weight loss goals and your appetite? Well, uh, for one, you're craving sugar, uh, and that's when a lot of people find themselves you know, they've been good all day. They've, they've been low carb and they've avoided sugar all day. And then as the evening wears on, oh, you know, the refrigerator's right around the corner, the pantry's right there. And that's when the sugary snacks come out. And we had a question about that in our previous podcast from uh, the listener that likes his bowl of cereal at night. Otherwise, he's primal the rest of the time. It's classic. And, uh, and, it, and it does derail a lot of people, uh, not just in, in their sleep strategy, but also in their weight loss strategy. So the idea would be to surround yourself with the kind of snacks. If you are doing that, to surround yourself with snacks that are that are higher in fat, the healthy fats, you know, the macadamia nuts, a little bit of coconut, ground up coconut butter or something like that. But yeah, the the staying up late and the, the hormonal uh, changes that happen as a result of being continuously exposed to the blue light and to the, to the, that glaring screen or to those uh, loud uh, noises coming out of the TV or the radio, for that matter, um, and release of cortisol. You know, if you're trying to lose weight, cortisol is an important hormone to get under control. And if you don't, it may be that the cortisol that's having you retain a lot of the weight that you ought to be otherwise losing with ease. Great. Now, I know we don't want to obsess on numbers when there's so many uh, intangible factors like waking up, refreshed, and energized. But in terms of the variables that are affecting that 
that magic number. You mentioned you're trying to get 10 hours sometimes. Sometimes you get fewer hours than that. What are some of the things that can affect that? Again, winter is a time when the, you probably need more sleep than you do in the summer. That's the way the world operates in terms of the amount of, of uh, darkness and lightness that we're exposed to in the circadian rhythm. Uh, so don't try to necessarily average it out with eight hours every day all year long, but get more sleep in the winter and be okay with getting a little bit less sleep in the summer if that's the way it works out for you. Um, if you're under a lot of stress, you probably need more sleep. Stress is after, when I said that sleep was one of the number one components to health that's being overlooked, stress is right below sleep as being one of the number one components that we overlook. And if you're under a lot of stress and you haven't managed it well, it's probably obvious that you need more sleep to be able to deal with that stress. Um, ironically, people who are stressed out a lot of times don't get enough sleep because they worry while they're sleeping. They, they, you know, they put themselves into this negative or positive feedback cycle where I'm worried for whatever reason, um, I can't fall asleep. Now I'm worried that I'm not getting enough sleep and it just perpetuates itself. So set the room up again in a way that's going to uh, encourage you to drop off into a nice deep sleep uh, as much as possible. If you've been training hard, if you're somebody who's been working out a lot in the gym, you probably need more sleep than the average person. Uh, so pay attention to how much work you're doing if you're an athlete or if you're, uh, even if you're a weekend warrior, you know, you might need more sleep on the weekends because you've been hitting it pretty hard, not having done anything during uh, the middle of the week. Uh, I've heard some people counter this in, in your talks and, and chats at Primal Con and so forth where they say, uh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not really tired. I do fine on six hours or seven hours. So I think to reiterate, if you have those lights blasting in your brain and spiking that cortisol, it's true, you're not going to be tired. But just to get into... Maybe we can get into the summary points now. And the thing you started at the outset was to talk about the environment and your lifestyle habits. Maybe you can just give us some memorable tips to, to, to walk away with to get that sleep optimized. Sure. Uh, well, the environment itself. You want a dark room. Uh, you probably want it cool. Uh, maximum of 68 degrees Fahrenheit. We try to keep ours around 66, and it does seem to have uh, a major effect on that. Uh, you, you want to wind down as the evening starts to progress. Uh, stop watching movies by 8.30 or 9 o'clock. If you are someone who's prone to going out for a stroll or um, having a conversation by the fireplace uh, or by candlelight or uh, reading by, uh, with, a, with a yellow light with some form of a, either, again, a miner's lamp or something that has a yellow uh, bulb in it, that's a nice way to help to, to wind down. If you must be on the computer, you can you can install a program called Flux, which is a uh, a program that that takes that light from the harsh blue light, which you're normally exposed to coming out of the monitor during, during the daytime, and yellows that light down. Uh, that's at Stereopsis.com. S T E R E O P S I S, and it's free for all platforms. Good spelling, Brad. That was great. In terms of waking up, uh, if you can get an alarm clock that has a mild sounds to it if you need an alarm clock don't don't uh, jar yourself out of bed with a jangling noise but maybe some chirping birds or or uh sound of water that gradually eases you awake um, i'd much prefer uh that you find a way to wake up naturally to sunlight uh and again th what we've done the hack that we've used in my house is we keep 
a window open that's around the corner from our dark room. So at nighttime, it's dark, 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 but as the sun starts to come up, that light starts to gradually and gently fill the room. So every, I, I don't think I've woke, woken to an alarm clock at home for uh, um, probably five or six years other than having to get up at four o'clock to drive to the airport. Uh, but even then, I, I somehow find a way to program my brain to wake up five minutes before that alarm clock goes off every single time. So that's a, probably a discussion, a later discussion, how that happens. So, yeah, the biggest takeaway is just as, as the sun goes down, let your sleep happen naturally. Try to do whatever you can to um, honor the expectations of your hunter-gatherer genes and, and go to bed or go to sleep when it's dark and wake up as the sun's rising. Thanks for that coverage of sleep, Mark. I'm sure we'll get some good questions on that. And then the next podcast, we'll hit a bunch of questions. So thank you for listening to the Primal Blueprint podcast here in Malibu, California with Mark Sisson. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Until next time. 